0: Hello and welcome to One on One, a Door County Pulse interview series. I'm Andrew Clyden and the autumn 2019 issue of the Door County Living Magazine is available this week. Inside the magazine are a bunch of awesome stories, but one in particular that was written by Matt Podest about the 1989 Southern Door Eagles uh, was particularly interesting for Miles. So Miles, a couple months ago, got together with Matt and Dave Earhart to talk about the time that the Southern Door Eagles became champions. So without further ado, we'll get into that interview right now.
1: All right. Here at the, in the uh, podcast studio today, we have Dave Earhart, former Door County Advocate sports editor uh, and a man who covered the 89 Southern Door football team. Um, Dave, thanks for, for stopping in here. We're, we're recording in late July as you just got uh, done with a basketball camp at Sebastopol.
2: I did, Miles. It's great to be back in Door County. It always is. And uh, just it, it's fun to see what everything looks like. In Door County, being up here in Bailey's Harbor, the the Pulse office looks great. It's great to see you guys, and it's just fun to relive this stuff. Matt's done a great job, and I can't wait to read that story when it comes out.
1: Um, uh, Matt Potas, you're here by phone from Chicago. Uh, welcome to the podcast. First time, first time sure. guest for you. Exactly,
3: and I, I gotta be honest with you, Dave. I haven't been to Door County since 1998, so I gotta take your word for
2: it. But yeah, you I'm gotta sure get up he here though. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: I owe a lot of people a visit. I've been writing from afar <laughs> for so long, and I think people will see the name, but have never seen the face. And perhaps it's time to show
2: my face. It may right? be. they could maybe have an unveiling. Yeah, a big, they'll big. <laughs> exactly. They'll name one of those like festivals, cor- one of those Door County festivals, like Fear key. Ball. Yeah, there you go. So
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thanks for having me, Miles. I appreciate it. It's exciting.
1: Yeah. So um, for the listeners, what we you know, if if you if you grew up in Door County and are over the age of thirty. You certainly know about the 1989 Southern Door football team. But if you're younger than that, you may not. And that team featured Jim Flanagan, a stud athlete, and was, I think, the first Door County football team to win a state title. I I believe so, yeah. And really probably one of the great teams we've ever had in Door County. Matt, you unveiled a lot of information in your reporting that really surprised me because I thought I knew as a Door County local native who was – a Gibraltar kid who watched that team roll over, steamroll the Sevastopol-Gibraltar combined team at the time. I thought I knew all there was to know about it, but you unearthed a lot of stuff that even I didn't know. And Dave, you were there at the time covering those teams yeah. and saw it firsthand. So I guess let's start by Dave. Why don't you take us back to that 89 season and tell us a little bit about that team and when what it was like going into that season. What did you expect out of that team?
2: Well, you know, they they were, I didn't even remember what their record was as juniors, um, but they were good. But th- nobody really, as much as those guys will tell you now that they knew they were going to be state champs, They and they reminded me of this all year that I picked them to be like fourth in the conference. That conference was pretty loaded up. Luxembourg-Casco was good. Uh, Kiwani, Don Robles was still there. You know, there was a good football conference. Southern Door had been good, but... Like I said, nobody realized how good they were going to be and how good Flanagan really was. But there was a lot of good athletes on that team. And as he got better, they got better, and their confidence grew throughout the year. And they were just, by the end of the year, a machine. They were really good.
1: And, you know, you mentioned Jim Flanagan. His father had played for the Green Bay Packers back in the late 1960s. My first impressions were of him were being at a Sevastopol-Gibraltar football game as a uh, 11-year-old and hearing nothing but Flanagan, touchdown, extra point, Flanagan, field goal, Flanagan, tackle, Flanagan, kickoff, Flanagan. Um, So I just thought of him as a powerhouse. What was the expectation for him going into his senior year? Was he known as like this athletic god, or was he kind of just like, you know, your local
2: uh, athletic? He was, the word was out. He was a national recruit by okay. them. Um, you know, Notre Dame was hot on it. Uh, you know, Wisconsin really wanted him. He did Barry Elver as a favor by making a recruiting visit down there after Barry took that job. But he wasn't really interested in Wisconsin. But Barry Alvarez had been an assistant at Notre Dame and had built a relationship with him. When Jimmy decided on Notre Dame, he still asked him to come down to Madison. Because, again, that rose the profile where Wisconsin football, we think right now what Paul Christ is doing down there and all those things, that they've always been a national powerhouse. But (laughs) they were terrible. Growing up, I remember watching their uh, their games. They'd always show them Sunday mornings on Channel 38, the UHF or whatever that yep. um, you know channel is. If you is. could get it in yeah, with your buddy ears in. and And stuff. they were awful down there at Camp Randall. So, again, um, just the idea of getting a kid like Jim to visit there was a huge thing for Wisconsin. So, now the word was out who he was uh, after his junior year and stuff like that. It's just we just didn't know that he could carry an entire football team, and he really did that.
1: Describe what he was. Like, what, what kind of athlete is this – For those who have no background on Jim Flanagan, are we talking about a really fast wide receiver? Are we talking about a big lineman? What was Jim Flanagan?
2: He was a like a tight end outside linebacker who could play running back. He could, (laughs) you know, you know, in the pros, he was a defensive lineman. But I mean, he was fast. He, you know, at that point he was probably 215 pounds, something like that. You know, he wasn't 280 pounds like he was as an NFL player, but he was just so athletic. I mean, he'd run past people, he'd run over people. Um, track and field, he was great there. I mean, he was a state discus and shot put champ. That was really neat to see. Even basketball, he was not a bad basketball player. But at some point, I think after his junior year, he stopped playing basketball because it was such a big deal when Southern Door came in to play because everybody wanted to kind of take a shot at him. And just by him turning around, he'd knock people over. So I think he made a good decision there by saying, no, I'll, I'll stop, I'll support you guys, but I'm not going to be a basketball player anymore. But he wasn't, he was a decent basketball player too. So he was a heck of an athlete, Miles.
1: What uh, Matt, when you talk to people about that team, how did some of his teammates talk about Jim Flanagan and what kind of an athlete and, and person he
3: was? It's, it's interesting. You know, the one thing that I got the most out of Flanagan is I tried to, when I interviewed him for the forty five minutes that I got with him, I tried to get him to talk about himself and it was nearly impossible for him to say anything about himself. And I I was really admired that. But when you talk to his teammates, um Scott Shevchik, who was an offensive lineman, said it best, and he was a freak for his time, you know. He was big, strong, fast, and you know, you just didn't have that in smaller school football in Wisconsin. But they all admired or admired him by the fact that that he didn't expect any of them to admire him. You know, he did the work like everybody else, and they followed his lead in the sense that he was a great leader. He worked hard. He shied away from the spotlight as much as he could. Um, And that was evident by the fact that I just could not get him to open up about himself, and I respected that. But his teammates, when I talked to him, they had no problem. And Dave gave me some nice quotes about Jim. He was just a great football player. But everybody admired him because he was a great leader and he was a great person. And I think that's what he led with more than anything as a football player, not having ever seen him play and only spoken to him for 40 minutes of my life. That's the impression that I got. And when I started digging into the Tomlin captains of the world and the Paul Lenards, that's what came out of the conversations I had with him. He was just a great person.
1: Now, Matt, I, I gave you this assignment. You cover high school sports for us. And for those, for the listeners out there, what we do is is Matt just has this passion for writing about high school sports, but he lives in Chicago, but you wouldn't know that reading his stories. He does such a great job of getting the picture from these student athletes, from the coaches and just making a lot of contacts and and writing up these profiles of local athletes because we can't find someone locally (laughs) to do it. (laughs) But, um, then, in doing this story, I give you an assignment. I say, hey, there's this 89 Southern Door football team. I think they're probably one of the best teams to ever come out of Door County. And Jim Flanagan is probably the best athlete ever out of Door County. Um, but then, what was your process from there, being somebody who had no familiarity with that team in person, and then having to kind of start from scratch? What did you do to, to try and report this story?
3: So, it's interesting that you say that. And I think you're exactly right, Miles. I mean, I came in fresh. So, the first thing I did was, uh, you know, reach out to some of the players, and and get some information the thing that helped me the most was tom the Captain, who was a sophomore at the time that played nose tackle and and uh, blocking back he sent me all of the clippings from the season so that was the first thing that helped me out of us get an essence of what's going on and dave i gotta give you credit man you were a really good writer by the way oh thank so you <laughs> i I, I, read, I read um all the articles got all the information. I crafted my question based upon what I read in those stories and the facts that I grew out of them. I didn't talk to anybody about anything before that because I wanted to get an essence of what was going on with that season. My expectation was, okay, Flanagan ran for 300 yards a game, the defense played great, and they killed everybody. That was going to be my impression, and it was going to be a really easy story to write because there's going to be Flanagan and everybody else. But then I started reading the story, and getting the ideas, and like I said, you know, Dave, I read your story. You had them fourth in the conference behind, behind three other teams, and it was in writing and everything like that. We talked <laughs> about games and situations and everything like that. He's not lying, right? But the one thing that I found out is it wasn't as easy as perhaps the average person thought it was. If you weren't part of that team that year, and if you weren't in Dave's shoes and or Jesse Harness's, the coach's shoes, or any of the players' shoes, you wouldn't have gotten the essence of what really needed to happen on that team. They weren't very good at the beginning of the season, and they they all admit it. I mean, they will admit that. Um, so in being able to do that and getting the essence of figuring out it wasn't that easy that was my story. That was where I was going to go with it. And that's how I asked my questions. So my conversations with people were pointed questions about, tell me about this situation. Tell me about that situation. Getting them to give me the idea about what's going on. Why was this so hard, you know? And it just started flowing. And to be honest with you, I think some of these guys are tired of me. Because there would be days when I would <laughs> call Paul Renard four times. And they would be five minutes apart. Paul, I got to ask you about this. And, you know, so let's talk about this. That's where it opened up, and that's where the story was great. i got to give these guys credit. They told me everything, and I think I jarred things loose with these guys. Like, Do you, I don't remember that, Matt, but thanks for reminding me. Those were the kinds of conversations we had and everything like that, too. So that's how it opened up, and I'm glad I did it that way because I didn't want to go in. If I would have gone in with the assumption that it was easy and it was like a, a dominant football team, then I wouldn't have gotten the just the essence of the story and it allowed it to open up. So that's where I started, and that's where it, where it began
1: and all that background research just from my own experience it makes you ask the questions differently like you you you're going to sure. ask a question um about those those early season predictions that maybe if you hadn't read all that stuff you don't even know to ask that question
3: no no and the last the only the one question that i re- rarely i asked this question one time and then it became so passé that i stopped asking it what was it like to win a state championship well we all know what it's like to win a state championship it's great <laughs> i guess the question i needed to ask and what i began asking what was it like to win a state championship in the way that you wanted? And that's where I really got the rich conversation, and I got the, the really good dish, for the lack of a better word, on how the season went, Asking what it was like to do it, how it happened. And that was the story. It didn't happen easy. You know, it wasn't like the team they played in the state championship, Westby, who beat everybody to death the whole season. They really had some struggles as the season went along, and I really concentrated on the struggles and how they overcame those struggles, and it was very, very interesting. A very interesting story as I got into it, and that's why I spent numerous hours on the scene, calling these people, <laughs> talking to Tom McCapin as he was driving across the country in his semi delivering stuff to Indiana.
1: And and you so, watched really uh, conversation. You watched the film of that game, actually the state championship game, correct?
3: Five, five times. I had to, and that helps out a lot. I'm. You glad say five
1: times? Because,
3: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> when when you look at the game film the first time. It didn't mean as much to me. But then I started getting the story of the season and starting to talk about the state championship game. You know, the guy that really opened up my eyes was was, uh, Art Brungy, who was the coach of Westby. When I talked to him on the phone, he was not shy in saying, we should have won that game or we could have won that game. or we were a great team and everything like that, too. Once I talked to him, I went back and I looked at that video and I said to myself, you were good, but frankly, Southern Door beat you. And so that was the best part about it. Is is I started opening up the story. I had to go back to the video, three, four, five <laughs> times, and look at certain situations. I didn't even watch yes, game film that
1: much really when asked. I was coaching high school basketball. You're you're a freak.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I am a freak. And my wife would she would walk in the door and she would watch see me watching this video again, and she would just shake her head. And I told her I was on deadline and I couldn't be bothered. So that's be a big going joke around my house, good honey. Line. I'm on deadline right
2: now. Don't bother me.
1: <laughs> so well, when the, when you finally do make crazy. it up here, Matt, uh, tell your wife uh, I I owe her some drinks, um, maybe dinner. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Matt, I think that's that's an important thing you bring up about Westby, is that I think they were overconfident. They thought they were so yep. good, and as that game developed, Southern Door got stronger and stronger, and you knew that Westby was starting to think, "Oh man, we are in deeper than we ever thought." And back then, people weren't connected. You know, there was you'd you'd get a newspaper from Madison a week later and find out about a team or whatever. Southern Door people knew they were good, but hadn't really seen them. So it was a whole different world, and I think they were a little surprised that day.
3: Sure. And then you know, you gave me a good quote, and I'm not going to give any essence of the story away because I want people to be able to read it. But one of the things that caught me the craziest about it is in some of the reading, the writing that David wrote. And and the story was, Westby had starters that never played the second half of the season. They rolled everybody. And Southern Door took the lead 10-7 right before the end of the first half on a trick play that we might be able to get into later. And as they were walking off the field, uh, Southern Door was fired up. They were, you know, celebrating in the middle of the field. And Westby walked off the field. Their chins were in their chest, and they were like, we're in for a battle. And I don't think that they understood how to overcome that. I think that they were shocked. And and they had a difficult time coming up, overcoming that. So to your point, Dave, Westby and their coach admitted it. We we were a better, we were probably the, a better team. We just didn't, we just got beat that day. And it was interesting, very interesting to talk to Art Brunke thirty years later.
0: <laughs> the podcast this week is brought to you by Brilliant Marketing Communications. Introducing Brilliant Sound Sessions, a free discussion series, casually facilitated by the folks at Brilliant Marketing Communication. Locals can share ideas and get advice on marketing from each other and professionals. Brilliant Sound Sessions will take place the second Tuesday of every month at the Brilliant Marketing Communication Office in Sturgeon Bay. Kit Coffee Roasters are kicking in the coffee, and space is limited, so please RSVP. Details at brilliantmktg.com or on Facebook. Listen, exchange, grow together, drink free coffee.
1: Dave, what was your expectation going into that state title game? Westby rolling over people. Um, I know as a local reporter, you can sometimes get caught up in are Like, yeah, our local team's going to win. But yeah. did you look at it and think like, yeah, this is probably where it ends? Or were you thinking, I think Flanagan's going to carry this out?
2: Yeah, some kind of mixed feelings there, Miles. I think everybody... Was seeing that hey, they're getting better and better, but they thought, man, this Westby team. Again, people thought this was the team. This was the, this was the week that it was going to end. And I think people were kind of thinking that in the back of their mind. But got down to Camp Randall. It was a cold day. I think it was like a three o'clock game or something like that. And uh, you know, everybody in Brussels and Little Sturgeon and and it was there, you know, last one out, shut the door and turned off the lights that day. <laughs> but uh it was cool, especially in that seventy thousand seat stadium. I mean, there was, I don't know, um, probably seven, 8,000 people there, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and just as the as the day developed, you could see them getting better, and I think at some point, I maybe looked at Big Jim Flanagan and thought, wow, you guys are gonna do this, and uh, it, it was a neat feeling.
1: Um, and you mentioned Big Jim Flanagan. Um, he had two sons on that team. Right. His younger brother Brian yep. um, was a freshman, also came up with a key fumble recovery in that game, yep. went on to be a stud, went to Madison, yep. great athlete in his own right, did you talk to Big Jim Flanagan a lot during that season? Or we did, yeah, yeah,
2: often. Um, I'd see Jim at the YMCA working out and things like that, and he was just focused and locked in. And you know, it was—it's a neat thing. You know, anybody with kids go through the whole um, sports thing is a lot of fun, especially when you're going to that level. And Jim's an assistant coach, spent a lot of time there. They had a really neat coaching staff, guys like Rich Fahey and Jim, and I think Brent Claflin was on that staff. We eventually became the head coach, and then, of course Jesse. And um, one thing Matt and I talked a little bit about, Jesse was always very nervous. He didn't want to talk to the media. He was very wary of saying anything. Um, but I'd always get stuff from Fahey and, and Big Jim and those guys. So, But it, it was it was a neat group. Um, it was a very special group out there.
1: What was the, and, and this goes to either of you, but like they start the season, they kind of have some mediocre wins over some non-conference foes. They beat Sturgeon Bay, at, uh, what I would say was probably a bad Sturgeon Bay team that year. And then they they lose to Luxembourg-Casco, kind of the nemesis at that time. And Luxembourg-Casco was, I think, the largest school in the conference. Oh, yeah. And at that time, it was probably like something like Luxembourg-Casco. O'Connell Falls was really big back then. Kiwanee was a much bigger school. And then Southern Door was probably right after that, right Mm -hmm. around the Sturgeon Bay size. Yep. Now, Southern Door is probably 200 fewer kids than they were then um, in the high school. But they lose to Luxembourg-Casco. So at that point... It, what turned the season around? Um, what changed for that team through the course of the season that went from, okay, we just, all right, we're not going to win the conference again to slowly becoming a state champion and just dominating toward the end of the well, season?
2: Luxembourg-Casco was very good. They had a kid named Andy Chilcote on that team and they were, you know, that was a big school like you said, Miles. They were full of athletes as well. Very good team and I think they knew that, hey, our conference, the LC was as good as anybody in the state probably so they knew that not being the conference champ there or what however it turned out that they were still a pretty darn good team. And I think once they got in the playoffs, it's like, ah, oh, these teams, we are better than them. Yeah. And it just grew from there.
3: Yeah. I mean, in, in my research of that, what I found most astonishing by that situation is they had a guy named like Jim Flanagan on their team. Luxembourg Casco came in there, buried the line of scrimmage. They had seven yards of total offense that game and one first down. Their touchdown came after a, a Hunt was snapped over the Luxembourg Casco punter's head and landed on the one yard line. And planning again ran a one yard touchdown run. They got their first down on the last drive of the game. So it was, and they'll all admit their offense was awful at that time. This is the one thing that I uncovered that I found that was most most exciting about that is at halftime they played Tijuana the next week and they were down fifteen to six at halftime. And I guess there was a lively conversation amongst the coaches in the coach's office during that time. They came out and said, great, we're going to make changes, guys. And that's when they changed their offense from a power eye or from a wing T to a power eye. And they put McCaptain the and Larkin in the backfield. And in the second half, they, they rolled Kiwani, you know, they were down 15, 60, beat them 33, 15. And it sounds like, according to Shepchick, when I asked him is that the coaches had a conversation, in the, in the in the coach's office at Southern Door at halftime, came out and said, this is what we're going to do in the second half. They went out in the second half and they rolled Kiwani, which was a very good team at the time. And to talk to the Renard and LeCaptain and shetchik about this, they all said that was the turning point in the season was, and Harness said this, is they knew their defense was really good because Luxembourg-Casco didn't do anything on offense that night, just was slightly better than, than Southern Door. But they knew... If they were going to have to match that defense with an offense that was going to actually move the ball faster than a glacier, right? They were, they were just <laughs> terrible that night. And so when that happened, they started gaining yards, and they started giving Flanagan room. You know, the captain said, look, my job was to kick out the, the defensive end, and then Larkin's job was to find the hole, engage the linebacker and give Jim Flanagan a little bit of space to take care of, take advantage of his size and speed. And then he started gaining yards and their offense became less predictable. And that was the turning point in the season, which, okay, we're going to match this defense with an offense that's suitable for a, a, a team that can go deep into the playoffs. We played Luxembourg-Casco, a really good team. We played them very great. Um, and then from that point on, they beat Kiwani. They shut out their last two opponents, finished in one, and boom, they're in the playoffs. You know, on a roll with a lot of confidence based upon that one change. And it's not a little change. I mean, changing your offense is a big deal. And Harden said it was a big deal. But that was one of the most astonishing things that I had learned about this whole situation is they had to scrap their offense
1: to get to the point where they were. And that was fascinating in in my aspect. Um, There's a couple points there. One, as you unveiled some of those stats and looking back on it, I knew Flanagan carried the ball a lot. But I mean, a coach might go to jail now for giving the ball to a guy 37, 38, 42 times again. I mean, 42 carries. I I don't even know if that's legal in high school football anymore. Um, I hope his head's okay. Um, But the other thing was, you think of it and you're going, oh, Jim Flanagan, superstar athlete, it's easy but football is different than basketball if you have a stud basketball player that can basically take you to state may not win you a state championship but if you have like a a really big stud there's only five guys on the court it really sticks out in football there's still 22 guys on the field at all times and what's even more impressive for Southern Door that made me think of them more as a team than as Jim Flanagan and the Flanaganettes (laughs) is how good that defense was because you can be a great defender but I mean you need a you need a better you need players around you to actually be a great defense Um, one stud running back can do a lot in high school football but then one stud linebacker doesn't have the same effect on the defensive side of the ball so hey Dave what were the guys what made that defense so so damn good
2: well, I think they had. They knew they had the centerpiece. They knew that they had a guy that can run sideline to sideline. We could take some chances. We can get after people because he's going to clean stuff up for us. But that's you know you brought up Brian Flanagan before too. That's where he was stepping up defensively. Um, Bobby Adamov was a kid on that yeah, team that Bob. was a great athlete. He was a, a I think a defensive back. All those guys. he went on to play at Madison. Yeah, he well. played. So that's a the thing. There was some there was some talent there that was going to get better and better to go with Jimmy too. He was the centerpiece, like I said, but there was guys around him that were pretty darn good. And then they knew too. We get the ball back. We know we're going to move it with the big hoss running. So again, we can be pretty aggressive defensively.
1: Um, that you know, you mentioned Bobby Adamov, and that takes me to a point that I think is important about that team is, and I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but Flanagan becomes uh, a D1 college recruit. His younger brother does as well. But he also had Bob Adamov, who went on to play at Madison. You had Al Johnson and Ben Johnson would play at Southern Door a few years later, more uh, my age a few years um, later. Uh, Both went to Madison, both went to the NFL. Um, Sturgeon Bay at that time had Chris Gryson, playing quarterback who went on to uh, have several different cups of coffee in the NFL and Mm -hmm. the Arena Football League. And his younger brother, Nick, who went on to um, play for the Giants and the Jaguars. And then Casey Robach, who had a 10 year career. Yep. I had the joy of playing against several of those guys for Sebastopol Gibraltar in the mid to late 90s and took many, many clobberings. I remember looking across the field at Nick Rison when he was a freshman. I was a senior, and I couldn't believe that was a freshman and just how imposing he was. And he wore the neck roll that guys all wore back then too, so it made me look even bigger. Um, and then played against Casey Robach, and they, would run, they had a great running back named Jason Schick. And really, really fast. I think he went and played some at Madison, too, as a walk-on, if I remember correctly. But they would run this big sweep. And I was a a cornerback. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they looked at film, I'm guessing, and just said, like, all right, we want to run it toward that guy. (laughs) Because I was usually the smallest guy on the field. And, I mean, if they had any scouting at all, that's what they would say. And they'd sweep it over. And I just always tried to pride myself on, like, taking hits. And so after the Sturgeon Bay game, I go into school the next day. And... Our librarian is like, wow, you you played great last night. I'm like, no, we 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 lost. We got clobbered. And, you know, it's one of those morning afters where you're just like, oh, my God, everything still hurts on Monday. <laughs> and no, no, you they just kept saying your name. I'm like, what were they saying my name for? They say, well, you just, you kept getting hit, but you kept getting right back up. Like, <laughs> wow, that's really not the, the kind of stunt feedback you want. But but I'm like, that is true. Rabach ran over me probably 40 times in that game. Um, but it was crazy, that run of incredible... NFL caliber athletes yep. in certain, I think at one time um, there was a town, there was Sturgeon Bay there was a town in Iowa that had the most NFL players per capita in the, in the entire nation. And I think it all is traced back in my mind, at least it's traced back to that Southern door team and what Flanagan did. Oh,
2: guaranteed miles. Yeah. It really is. I, and I've talked to people about that before that, you know, obviously, you know, the Johnson's coming through and Casey, those guys are big time athletes, but I think before that there had been some really good athletes in Door County, but Flanagan's recruiting that whole process showed that, hey, there's kids up in that little peninsula of Wisconsin that are some serious athletes.
1: Do you think it was just a matter of like getting recruiters to turn their eye on this area? Do you think just Flanagan made them just see other people?
2: I think that was part of it. I think that was part of it. There were some guys that um, that I went to school with that were a little younger than me, the Dantoin brothers and a kid named uh, Theo Blanco that played at Stevens Point and went on to some really good things. But then all of a sudden you're getting these guys that are, you know, Division I national recruits, and that's huge. I mean, like Casey Robuck, his dad Gary Robach was on uh, football and basketball teams with my brother Jeff back in Sturgeon Bay in the late 60s, incredible athlete. Uh, Ronnie Gryson, uh, the the Gryson boys, um dad he was, was a great, great athlete. athlete and their grandpa Stan Kramer was an NFL football player huh. so i mean there was some some lineage there some too some people that came through generationally that it was time but I think, again, just proving that, you know, there's somebody up here. I remember Don Morton being at a uh, – Don Morton was a, a Badger football coach before Barry Alvarez, yeah. And, and uh, they
1: were, really ugly days. Yeah,
2: they were terrible. But when they were trying to get Flanagan to come visit, he was at a track meet in Sturgeon Bay one day, and that was a big deal. The hmm. Southern Door was there. So, again, it just got people up here and, and convinced them. And really, Wisconsin – has become a huge hotbed for you know uh, you know and University of Wisconsin does a great job of keeping its kids home yeah and, and that's to its credit and there's a lot of you know those big lines that they've run behind for years down in Madison have been mostly Wisconsin born kids
1: correct yeah is there anything else about that season Matt in your reporting that's important to note
3: um, it, to me I mean there were some great stories and one of the things that that, that I found that was really fascinating in the sense that they didn't really ever de- kill anybody. They didn't even destroy anybody. They didn't dominate anybody. I mean, you know, I mean, they probably
1: dominated like, Sebastopol Gibraltar. I'll give them that.
3: <laughs> But they did. I think, and I didn't report about this, Miles. But I think
1: uh, that didn't need, need to be, be reported. <laughs>
3: that, that, he had three hundred fifty seven yards in a 49-18 win. However, wait, Sebastian they scored was eighteen points. Scored the most points. <laughs> that was the most points they gave up all season. So you gotta you gotta hang your head on that. You're going to be good. Sebastopol so
1: Gibraltar owned uh, the 1989 Southern Door Eagles.
2: So
3: put it that way. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they, they crowed about it. And then I'm sure the librarian <laughs> was very happy on that. Yeah. Too. Um, I think what I found most fascinating is that they didn't really roll anybody. I mean, they beat, I don't know how to pronounce it, is it Manawal or Manawa, whatever, the first round game? They win that 35 6, but they had like 190, 200 total yards. You know, their defense dominated and everything like that, too. What I found fascinating was the fact that Howards Grove figured out what Buxenberg Casco figured out, and they loaded the box up and they bottled up, uh, planning it a little bit in, in, the, in, the, in the section final. And they, you know, another fascinating story is talking to Paul Renard. Look, we're up 7 0, we're cruising along, our defense is playing great. We gave up a 93 yard touchdown pass on a third and 23 from the seven yard line, right? Mm-hmm. So a guy goes up in the air. They have two defenders. He splits the defenders. Comes down with the ball. Defenders run into each other. When I did my research, they had three backs. Two of them had eleven hundred yards. One of them had nine hundred yards. They had a, you know they scored fifty-four touchdowns. They hadn't played anything in the second half. But the one thing that that seven door did is this: is not had the ball, you know. And we can touch upon about, about this. You know, as we t- we're going to talk a little bit about the final. But they always found a way to win per I didn't watch all these games but reading the stories they always found a different way to win a different you know this halfback pass no one expected that right you know you had to use Jim Flanagan as a decoy they score a touchdown you know
1: well set that up for us for the listeners who who don't know that um let's talk about that final game and and how they beat Westby and maybe Dave start by setting what the scene is down at at Camp Randall
2: well, like we we're seeing before, on the yeah, yeah. Spot. I remember being up up in the crowd for a little while uh, beforehand, just seeing who was up there. And John Gast and I were there from the Advocate, and it was starting to get cold. And we got mm-hmm. down on the field, and it got colder and colder as the sunset. You know, because it's what we're on Thanksgiving or middle of November and stuff like that. But um, you know, it, it was exciting. You could tell the kids were excited. It had been a long playoff run because back then, I believe the playoffs. The first week you played two games. I think it was a Tuesday night game, and then you had to come back. Tuesday on a, Saturday. Yeah, Tuesday Saturday. That which, is crazy. I mean, there's no state in the country right now that would let anybody do that. Yeah. So a little different, but it was a grind. It was a grind. The guys were what 13 games in something like that, but just they they knew it was their opportunity, and uh, I I think they they were tired of hearing about how good Westby was and, and that sort of stuff. So.
1: And then what happens in this in that game uh, against Westby?
3: I mean, I find the most fascinating aspect of this whole game was that, you know, in Dave's writing, I, I, I learned that Wesley had scored on every first drive of the season in every game. All right. So they would get the kickoff or whenever their kickoff and they scored on every first drive and they never gave up a point in the first quarter to any team in the whole, in the whole um, season. So I'm watching this video and I'm like, okay, I want to check out this offense. So, Southern Door kicks off and the first two plays of the game, first play of the game's a nine yarder, the second play of the game the twelve yarder. Two plays, twenty one yards, first down, and I'm like, Wow. So what were people thinking at that point when Westy comes out and, and runs for twenty one yards in the first two plays? So I asked what happened in the captain. He goes, I was really worried after those first two plays. I asked Planning and I said, What did you think? And he goes, Well, on the first play I got blocked. And that rarely happened during the season. That was the one time he actually said something about (laughs) it. And then on the second play, the guy beat me around the end, like with his speed, beat me around the end. And that didn't happen off. Right. So that was the perspective that they had on those first two plays. And then they run, then Westby ran the next three plays, gained six yards on those plays and they punted. So number one, Westby didn't score on their first drive. So what does that do? And, and, and referencing Dave's talk about how they got more confident as the, season, as the game went along. That didn't hurt, right? That could not have hurt at all oh, to have guaranteed. to watch them walk off the field. Yeah. Secondly is then they get the punt and they bring the ball down the field and they they run through them a little bit. And then one bad play and a recovered fumble, it's fourth down and Flanagan kicks a 38-yard field goal. So now we've got – less than eight minutes into the game, two things that had never happened to Westby the whole season happened. They got scored on in their first period quarter, and they got stopped on their first drive. That lends to exactly what Dave said, is they must have thought, wow, we're in a game. And that was the one thing that was really poignant to me, is that this team that wasn't supposed to do anything smacked them in the mouth early in the game, and it really set the tone for the game. I guarantee you, Westby was worried a little bit at that point. Yep.
1: And yeah, then, and West, right on. Westby had won what three state straight three state championships in like the previous seven seasons or something like that. So this is a team that was used to being in Camp Randall, that used to being on the big stage. And then you have so I, I I'd feel really confident if I were them too. You're like, who is this southern door? What the heck is a yeah. southern door? Who yeah. are
2: these guys? Who are these farmers from up and <laughs> wherever? You know, <laughs> nobody even knew where it was. So
1: how did it, what was the final score in this
2: game? In the state championship
1: seven. So, again, not another big defensive battle. Did it ever, like, as you're watching that game, Dave, does it feel like, all right, they're definitely going to win this? Or are you constantly thinking, is it like a Dick Bennett game where 17-7 actually feels like a 40-7 victory? Or is it uh, um, that whole time you're like, oh, man, they need a bigger cushion. Like, Westby could take this uh, away from them at any moment. What was the feeling?
2: No, I think the feeling was as the game started to unfold that, no, they're they're in pretty good shape here. You got into the third quarter, and people started looking at each other kind of with that look, Yeah. We got this. It's coming home, sort of thing like that. And I think even in the sense in the crowd and, and things like that, it's like uh, the, the eagle eagle power is what we kind of called the season. And um, and they really just you know finished it off. So there was after a while, there was no doubt.
3: And then you know, from, the, go ahead. I'm Matt. sorry, Miles. If I could add to that, the most fascinating thing was is you know, they take a 10-7 lead, and then Wesley drives the ball down the field, and they've got a fourth and three on the thirty nine yard line, and Art Brungy decides I'm going to punt right? I want to pin them back. I'm going to punt and hopefully we'll get a punt back and we'll get good field position. That starts. What was the epic part of the game? And I, I watched every single, I charted every single drive. They went 22 plays, 84 yards in 10 minutes and nine seconds. And just ran the ball down the field on them, and just didn't let them have the ball back. They did not. It was like, you know, they, they, this ten minutes later, Westby, you know, uh, Flanagan dies over from the one. Westby's defense had been on the field for twenty-two plays, and it was their running backs and their wide receivers and their quarterback were playing defense, and they were exhausted. They had played twenty-two straight plays, and they had to fight Flanagan on every single I was one. I going to say twenty-two
1: plays of Flanagan front. coming right down exactly. your throat. Exactly. Yeah, fifteen
3: exactly. of those plays were runs by him. Here's the irony of it all. And the play of the game might have been, because Westby had a little bit of of, uh, momentum going on offense, because that drive that they took it before they punt, they drove probably 60 yards on that drive, and they were running the ball pretty well. Southern Dillon had a fourth and two from the 24, and Flanagan might have gotten it by an inch. I mean, he got hit in the backfield, gained his momentum, gained his his balance, and then dived forward. And thankfully, he's 6'3", because he dived forward, and he got just beyond the the, uh, first down marker. That was an an integral play, because if they don't get that fourth down, then Westby's got first and goal, first and down at at the 24-yard line, and they they got a short distance to score. Once they got that first down, Flanagan was a beast. And then at that point, every third down that they had, Flanagan got for them. And they just ran the ball down the field and tired Westby out and took them out of the game. You know, they, They ran 68 plays compared to 36 for Westby. You know how do you do that, and how do you have a running back <laughs> that ran forty-two of those sixty-eight plays and wow. still stood up at the end of the game? You know, so <laughs> as, as that game went on, Dave's absolutely right. They went up ten to seven, and they took every punch that Westby threw at them, which were very few in the second half because they didn't get the opportunities. Don't forget, Westby had two possessions inside the inside the thirty-five, inside the southern doors thirty-five in this in the remainder of that game. Uh, there was a fumble on the three-yard line that that Southern Dory covered. And then the last tackle of Flanagan's career, he just smacks this kid running back. Guy's almost the ball and his little brother lands on top of the ball. Game's over, right? So while they took the 17-7 to lead, they still had to have two defensive stands against a very good offense late in the game. And that was just remarkable at how resilient they were on defense in that game and, and really just pushed them back twice. And they were two good scoring opportunities. So I found that fascinating. But, yeah, that drive – was quintessential, we can't let Westby have the ball because they're that good, and let's play keep away. And they did it. It was great.
1: Um, You know, one last thing about this era, uh, and then we got to wrap it up, but I think as you do this story, Matt, and you're going back through all these clippings, uh, Dave, you were a writer for The Advocate back then in kind of the heyday of newspapers, Mm -hmm. um, when they were cash cows, and when a sports section at The Advocate is bigger than two issues of The Advocate today. We have the advantage of going back and being able to tell this story because there was so much coverage, because you had reporters. Mm -hmm. like The Advocate probably had multiple sports writers at that time. Um, Nowadays, you don't get that detail. Like the high school athletes today, there are some things written, but it's nothing like the, you might have a thousand-word gamer back then. Mm -hmm. Now you maybe get a box score and a quick recap. So if somebody has a great season today... It's probably going to be impossible for someone to go back and write that story um, the way that you can now. You can go back and watch film, but that's not the same as someone who can tell you what, Dave, the things you've told us about what it was actually like Mm -hmm. and talking to those guys and having a third party who can go in there and say, like, here's where they actually, what the scuttlebutt was on the street at that time. Um, We're kind of, we're losing that. So it's kind of cool that we can actually go back and get the level of detail about that team that, that Matt was able to get.
2: No, exactly. It it it, it was neat because we were kind of the show in town back then. There was uh, you know, a couple of radio stations. WDR was there, a couple other ones. But it was really you know, people kind of lived by those words when the paper would come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we even had a weekend edition back then. Yeah. And one thing Matt and I talked about after the game, John Gast and I had to rush back to Sturgeon Bay because we had to finish the paper to get out that would come out on the weekend, the advocate, uh, the free one that would come out. So we got back, um, John developed pictures. I wrote a couple stories and, and went from there, but it, it was really neat. It was really neat. Having grown up in that era in Sturgeon Bay, back when gas was a sports editor, he did a super job. And then to be able to take that. And then when Corey Mallion took it on, um, for a lot of years, over 20 25 years, twenty-five years, yeah, did a really nice job. So, but like you said, times have changed. It's a, it's a different world, definitely yeah. a different world.
1: Well, Matt, thank you so much for, for doing all the work on this story and really diving in and and getting so much detail from it. And, you know, we, we may not be able to do what they were able to do years ago, but we try to, you're really helping us, um, try to keep and give these high school athletes, not just the ones from back then, but the kids today, it means a lot when somebody has their picture in the paper. It means a lot to get some credit and see their name. Grandma still puts it on the wall. Um, (laughs) dad still brags about it. Um, and you know, if we whatever we can do here at the Pulse to to keep that tradition going, especially in small town, I think that's really important. Um, and well, yeah, thanks for all your work on this story,
3: Matt. I don't know. The only the only key to that is you keep me on payroll, man, because I'm enjoying doing it. <laughs> and and to your point, I mean, you talk about the athletes of the '80s and the '90s and all these guys that went off to be post. I may not be covering pro athletes right now uh, in Door County. But I've been doing this. It'll be a year in October that that I was hired by you guys, and, and I can tell you that I cover some really good athletes. And there's some kids that are coming out of Door County now that may not be going off to pros or playing at, at Wisconsin. But you got the Derek LeCaptons of the world and the Kyle Dalves of the world, and looks like Ryan is going to be a basketball player that's going to make some noise and maybe you know get a, a, a nice scholarship. You know, he's on the map and everything like that. But, Southern Door girls softball team went to state. So there's still some good athletes going in in, in the the Door County area. And I just happen to be able to to talk to these people. And the fascinating thing they're most, these are all great kids. You know, I've talked to a few on the phone. I text and email most of them, but they're so reverential and they're so nice. So it, it speaks well for the area that I'm covering great athletes, but the most, satisfying thing is that you're covering great kids and that's the most important thing but yeah i I can tell you right now i've enjoyed every minute of it and i hope people really like
1: it all right well dave thanks for taking the time out of your trip back to door county and joining us in the pod closet as i like to call it (laughs) and uh matt you you can't feel the stuffiness but it's getting pretty stuffy in here so i'm gonna i'm gonna let Dave get some air i'm in an air
3: conditioned guest bedroom right now so i'm doing all right all right matt
2: great to talk to you man
3: thank you both you guys thank you very much we'll talk soon guys take care bye-bye
2: For more Door County news,
0: interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at doorcountypulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast.